Recognizing that God looks at us with a vision that exceeds our imagination, we are invited into the life of light, even in the face of great darkness. Betsy Rosen offered this message through the story of Martin Luther King, Jr., in this sermon delivered on the weekend set aside in his honor. In the name of God who looks at us and sees us whole, amen. Fifty-two years ago, in the middle of the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott that had entered its third week, Martin Luther King, Jr. returned to his house at the end of a long day of meetings with local activists. Since the day in December when Rosa Parks had refused to give up her seat on the bus for a white man, the young pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church had rapidly emerged as a confident new leader who could take on the evils of racism, <clears throat> violence, and injustice. Privately, however, Martin was a reluctant prophet. He had grown up as the heir apparent to his father's large and successful church in the black middle-class section of Atlanta, had gone to Boston to get his Ph.D., he had a taste for small luxuries, silk pajamas, nice clothes. His comfortable career track was laid out ahead of him. Yes, he was willing to work for nonviolent social change, but he didn't want to be thrust into the spotlight of national leadership. It was close to midnight at the modest white frame house on South Jackson Street. His wife, Coretta, and their baby daughter had already gone to bed. But unable to fall asleep, King went into the kitchen and made some coffee. The phone rang, and a sneering voice on the other end told them if, if he wanted to remain alive, he would have to leave Montgomery in the next few days. It was not a new message, but for the first time tonight, it got to him. Feeling suddenly fearful and overwhelmed, he hung up the telephone and sat down at the kitchen table. I was ready to give up, he says in his book, A Stride Toward Freedom. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers, I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, Martin King experienced the presence of the divine as he had never experienced God before. It seemed to him as though he could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, 
Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And God will be at your side forever. Years later, he described the same voice as having spoken in the words of an old hymn. Never alone, never alone, never, no, never alone. Is it too much of a stretch to say that in that encounter, God looked at Martin Luther King Jr. and seeing him whole, seeing beyond what he could see of his own human limitations, gave him not a new self, but a radically transformed grasp and understanding of the self that was already there, that had been there all along, building, being shaped, waiting for this moment. It's not too hard to recognize something like the same experience with Simon Peter. What must have been going through his mind as he followed his brother Andrew, who had just told him, come, we have found the Messiah? He was a simple fisherman like the others, strong and passionate, stubborn, loyal, and amazingly obtuse at times, as all the disciples seemed to be. He could not possibly have known, as he first approached this person his brother had described, what would lie ahead of him. Neither the joy and the transformation, nor the cost. Could not know ahead of time that from the beginning he would be the natural spokesman for the Twelve, nor that Jesus would choose him to be among the inner circle present at some of the most significant turning points of Jesus' ministry, the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, the agony of that last night in the garden. He still has to face ahead of him the humiliation of remembering the boast that he would follow Jesus to prison and to death and the total moral failure of his betrayal the very next day. He cannot envision his years of faithful leadership of the growing, struggling church spreading quickly around the Mediterranean or his own death in Rome crucified, as tradition has it, upside down. Yet knowing none of this, he is looked at by Jesus and seen whole is changed forever. Simon, son of John, you are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, my rock. His answer, leaving his fishing boat and the whole of his life behind him to follow Jesus on the way, is the response of his whole being to that first startling encounter with the Jesus of history. The sudden transformation of figures like Peter and Martin Luther King are exceptional, of course, miraculous. They seem beyond us, something we can only learn about through being told by others, from scriptures, through the media. Yet most people have known this sudden flash of insight, this almost alchemical change from one thing into another, if only on a small scale. We fall in love. 
we are recognized by friends or colleagues as being of the same mind. We see parts of who we are in the eyes of our children and of our critics. Often, though, we resist being seen, we human beings, and wear all kinds of disguises to prevent it. Maybe because we're fearful, insecure about our talents, about whether people like us. Or maybe because there is in us an instinct of modesty, of not wanting to be seen or understood so easily by just any passing stranger. Surely we are waiting, hoping against hope, whether consciously or subconsciously, for the one who, seeing our undisguised and naked self, accepts and loves the whole of us, not just our most attractive assets, the ones we like to show, but the unique, quirky, bumpy, difficult, lazy, aggressive self, with no pieces of it banished, no pieces missing. Only guess what? We are never going to find that person in another human being. As Yeats put it, only God, my dear, could love you for yourself alone and not your yellow hair. Yet even so, sometimes when we least expect it, we can get a little piece of that experience of what that divine gaze feels like. Stop now for a moment and remember, when in your life do you think you were seen most clearly by another human being? Was it a parent, a teacher? Was it a lover or a spouse? And did that sense of being seen whole come instantaneously in the way Jesus saw Peter, or as the fruit of a long commitment to another person with all its ups and downs? Maybe our being seen whole or close to whole came through the eyes of a friend. That's happened with me more than once, thank God. Our friends often see us better than we see ourselves. Or maybe it leapt out at us through something we read, an instantaneous sense of, yes, that's exactly the way it is. On some deep level, that is who I know myself to be. Two weeks from today, at our annual meeting, Richard has in mind for us to do some looking inwards towards our spiritual selves, both individually and as a parish. He'll tell you more about it as the time approaches. For some of us, that will be something to look forward to, almost an indulgence. For others, not so easy. But as we move towards Lent, taking with us both the glow that emanates from the manger and the stronger light of the star that guided the Magi to the stable, let us remember that we are all called to such a personal experience of God's presence and God's miraculous love for us, seen whole and as we are. It is only through the power that comes from seeing and being seen in this way that the light of Christ will move outward from this place to warm and lighten the world outside our doors. 
So let us go forth in that light, spreading the good news of Christ's presence here among us to everyone who is ready to receive it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.